this ought to get you excited. If this does not get you excited, you need to go home and quit farming. Welcome to the 291st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When transitioning into farming practices that are closely tied to something as complex as the soil biome, developing excellent observation skills is a must. One must be able to gauge if a particular practice is building biology and therefore setting in motion a series of ecological processes that lead to long-term resilience and productivity. During a recent LSB Soil Health Field Day in the Driftless region of southeastern Minnesota, regenerative farming expert Alan Williams provided a hands-on lesson what to look for when monitoring progress. The lesson took place on a hillside managed by Rochelle and Jordan Meyer of Wholesome Family Farms. During the past few years, the young couple has converted hundreds of acres of highly erodible crop ground into perennial pastures, which they use to raise beef, goats, and chickens for their direct-to-consumer meat business. Alan has a doctorate in animal science and previously worked in academia. These days, as a consultant with Understanding Ag, he works with farms and ranches across the country and around the world that are adopting regenerative practices. Alan is a big believer in using annual cover crops as a biological primer. A two to three year transition where the covers help serve as a link between an annual monocultural system characterized by intense tillage and chemical use and a deep-rooted biodiverse perennial pasture. As he's described in other Ear to the Ground podcasts, such a biological primer can lead to compounding, cascading effects that eventually create a self-sufficient soil system. Sometimes that transition period can be surprisingly fast when it taps into some of the hidden natural processes lurking beneath the ground. That appeared to be the case on one particular field featured at Rochelle and Jordan's event. As a steady downpour started to let up, the field day participants followed the young couple and Alan into the pasture, which had been idled for 25 years under a conservation reserve program contract. In 2019, it was tilled and planted to corn. In 2020, after soybeans were taken off in the fall, the Myerses seeded rye. After the rye overwintered, they grazed it during the spring of 2021, and in mid-April of that year, seeded a pasture mix of perennial species like fescue, orchard grass, clover, and birdsfoot trefoil. They used USDA Environmental Quality Incentives Program funding to set up a rotational grazing and watering system for their livestock. By the time of the field day, they had been using adaptive grazing on the field for less than two years, carefully adjusting their stocking rates and rest periods. Jordan says when they first started grazing it, the field soil was lifeless as a result of no animal activity for so many years. Cow pies routinely sat on the surface without being broken down, a sign of low biological activity. But he and Rochelle now feel it's come back to life, producing a good stand of forage for their animals while soaking in and managing water well. So they and the other field day participants were curious to get Alan's assessment of the state of the soil. He obliged by taking out his special heavy-duty shovel, plunging it to the hilt, and exposing a sample of dirt. In all his presentations, Williams makes the point that no matter what a farmer thinks is happening on the surface of a field, a shovel test will unearth the real truth. How bad have we been lying? Rochelle asked with a laugh after Williams gave his The Shovel Doesn't Lie talk and began grubbing up the soil sample. At that point, I began recording what Alan and the other farmers present observed. This exchange provides a good insight into the difference between looking and actually seeing when it comes to soil health. So we break it open. Now, before I say anything, y'all tell me what you see. Read 
the soil. The soil does not lie. Remember I told you when we started off this morning, the shovel test never lies. I can have a farmer or rancher tell me that they've been doing this or that or whatever, but when I stick the shovel in the ground, I'm either going to prove them true or I'm going to prove them a liar. The first thing that I see that comes most obvious is look at the insects that are just flying all over here. Okay, thank you. I thank mean, you. just a vast yeah. amount. Yes. Bad or good? Good. Okay, how many farmers, though, think a lot of insects is bad? Uh, the ball. Man, I better break out the insecticide, right? we got to spray. That is part of the observation. Diversity of life. We, in really healthy fields, that's exactly right. We should see just insects galore. Okay? Now, as I was walking through here, that's one of the things I was paying t attention to, Scott. And so as we were walking in, I was both watching insects, clouds of insects rising in front of me with every step I took. That's very good. And then I was listening. And even now, what do you hear? Sure. You hear them, don't you? Okay. And I see, I mean, I've seen, now they sort of scurried now, but when we broke it open, I saw spiders and beetles and all kinds of stuff right here, right? So this had, there goes one right there. So this had... A lot of insects, not just up here, but down in here. So here, here are the key things you need to be looking for, folks, when you do this shovel test. So I first look up here at the surface and at this thatch or duff layer. How much dead plant material do I have on the surface? Now I want some, because that's food for my organisms, it's food for my saprophytic fungi and all of that. And then they can convert this dead plant material to new organic matter and carbon. So I want to see some thatch, some cover on the soil. What else does that do? Holds moisture. What else? Insulates. It protects my soil in the summer. It protects it from the heat. In the winter, it protects it from the cold. So it's insulation for my soil. So it holds moisture and it insulates my soil, protects my soil. So I want you know, a decent thatch or duff layer here, and it feeds my soil and builds new soil, right? Feeds the soil organisms and microorganisms and builds new soil. The next thing I'm going to look at is the surface of the soil, okay? And on the surface, I'm going to look, do I have crusting? Do we have any crusting here? No. No! Is that good or bad? That's great. That's great, exactly. So, non-crusted soil is really, really good. Why is crusted soil bad? It doesn't let the air and water in. Okay. You can't infiltrate water very well, can you? Nope. And oxygen. if water won't infiltrate, oxygen won't infiltrate either. So I don't want to see a crusted layer. In a way, way too many soils today, we see in both pastures and row crop fields, we see not just a little shallow crusted layer, but a pretty thick crusted layer. So we see no evidence of crusting here and that's very very good. So thatch, crust, decent thatch, no crust, then I immediately below the top the surface of soil I start looking for aggregation. So do we have aggregate down through the profile through the depth that I pulled up? Yes. So our aggregates aren't just here, right? They are extending fairly deep. So we want aggregates as deep as we can build them. Biology lives on them. What else? Air. A lot more air. What else? Resilience. 
What else? Good old rule of compounding, positive compounding effects with building aggregates. Have any of you seen the slate test? You got a clod of aggregated soil, a clod of non-aggregated soil. Which one breaks up? The non-aggregated, it just falls apart. And if you've got, that's, that means in a, in a storm, a rainstorm, what happens? Everything that fell apart now gets washed off. You've lost that topsoil, right? So this keeps your topsoil intact. What else? We're going to have aggregates. We've got mycorrhizal fungi because they're producing the biotic glues to create that aggregation. So it's direct evidence of a mycorrhizal population. What else does aggregation do for? The infiltration. What else? Do you see any compaction here? Do you see any uh, compaction there? Do you see plated layers there? I mean, this is really, really good because, you know, to not be able to see distinct plates in there anymore. And for that plating to be gone in the profile that I just pulled up is pretty profound. That, I mean, that, that's big time profound. And so those aggregates have broken up that compaction, okay, that plating that definitely was here. Now, what else? Very practically, for my livestock and my equipment, what will aggregated soil do for me? Hold me up. So the more aggregated your soil, the less pugging you're going to have, okay? So even when it's wet, your livestock <coughs> won't pug this up if it's aggregated, okay? Why? If I had a nice thick sponge, a sponge about that thick out here, okay? And I grabbed that sponge and I squeezed it down and then I let go of it, what is it going to do? It's going to spring right back to its original shape and volume, right? So I'm going to squeeze it down, let go of it, it goes just like that. That's what aggregated soil does. If it's not aggregated and I take that soil and I squeeze it down, what does it do? It stays that way. What does non-aggregated clay do? If it's wet, what can I do with non-aggregated clay? Make concrete. Yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> you can make bricks, right? So, but if I squeeze it down, I can ribbon it out, right? Like Play-Doh. Okay, I can ribbon it. That's what non-aggregated soil does. So it won't hold up our livestock. It'll pug. If I'm driving equipment out here, it's the same impact. You drive equipment out here, it's like a sponge. It absorbs the impact, springs back. If it's non-aggregated and it's wet, I drive equipment out here, what happens? Ruts. Ruts. I just created ruts, right? This is important for row croppers because it greatly increases their planting window and their harvest window. Significantly increases that when you can aggregate this soil. I love what I'm seeing here. No plating, no compaction. We've got clear aggregation at depth. A lot of root mass, no crusting, good thatch layer. We saw a lot of life, right? There have been earth, earthworms are definitely in here. The next thing I'm going to do, soil aroma. Soil aroma. So aroma also doesn't lie. Okay, so what I'm seeing tells me that what they've been doing is pretty good. Alright, the aroma also tells me good or bad. So if I smell the soil and it has an either slightly metallic, like smelling a jar full of copper pennies, or a slight acidic aroma. It is highly bacteria-centric. 
Okay, it's bacterially dominated and it does not have near enough mycorrhizal fungi and protozoa in it. But if I smell that soil and it has a deep, rich, earthy aroma, and this does, it has a nice earthy aroma to it, that tells me immediately that it's got a lot more mycorrhizal fungi and protozoa in it. What about if it smells sour or musty? What does that tell me? That it's been anaerobic. The soil has gone anaerobic if it smells sour or musty. So the aroma is really important. So the shovel test, looking at all of these things that we just talked about and the aroma, tell the tale. So, you know, I really, really like what I'm seeing here. Okay, now, I'm pulling this up. Okay, <laughs> we just found it, didn't we? Yep. <clears throat> tell me, tell me what you see and what do I see? What, why did I just react like I did? Plating, it's coming apart. There you go, plating right here, right? Plating. Boom, there you go. Yeah. That is, that's the old plow layers. Give me another year. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep, yep. So the plating was evident, boom. But one other thing. Color. Color, thank you. Yes, the color radically changes from here to here, right? It gets a lot lighter here. So, good job to here. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But this takes time, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Takes time. Two years. Yeah. You've done this in two years. Not even technically. Not even technically two years. That started October 20th, the rice seed went down. So. Pretty darn good job, guys. Okay, that's radically fast progress. Do you think that nothing is ever the result of a singular cause? And again, in farming and ranching and ag research, we tend to think singular causes singular effects, right? We we think everything is linear, we think everything direct cause and effect. No. The world doesn't work that way, guys. We deal with biology, nature, everything else. Nothing works that way that we deal with on our farms, okay? So this also is not singular, okay? So this is a result of the rule of positive compounding, okay? So the rule of compounding, just for those of y'all that, that haven't heard this before, the rule of compounding, number one, there never are any singular effects, Everything produces compounding, cascading effects. And those compounding, cascading effects are never neutral. They're either positive or negative. You don't have any in between. This is a result of positive compounding, cascading effects. So it's the multiplicity of things that you did. So you came in and you put in living roots, a diversified mix, right? But are the only plants out here what he planted? Because you planted how many species? Five, six? Yeah. Okay. I said I counted how many? <laughs> and we estimated there's at least how many? 30. 30 plus. Okay. So it wasn't just a result of what you planted. It was also a result of what? The latent seed bite, the volunteer seed bite that grew everything else as well. Nature also contributed here, right? But you had to create the condition through your management for the latency bank to respond. And it did. Okay, so you planted, but you also stimulated the latency bank. So it was a combination of you coming in here, minimal disturbance, right? So the six principles, 
let, let's go through the six principles here real quick in relation to this and why we're seeing this now. So number one, he had context, right? Number two, you have minimal disturbance. Number three, you kept armor on the soil. Number four, living roots in the ground. Number five, diversity. And then what did you do? Grazing cows under adaptive practices. You didn't just throw cows out here and let them have the whole thing for a month or longer at a time, right? So you used adaptive grazing principles. So it's the combination of all of that, okay, working together to create this kind of result over what is really a relatively short period of time. So y'all were intentional in what you did. You purposefully made sure that you applied all six of the soil health principles here. And then you incorporated the rule of disruption, right? Because you didn't graze it in the exact same way every time, right? No. So you incorporated the rule of disruption. You obviously have the rule of diversity working for you, and you were paying attention to the rule of compounding to create positive compounding cascading effects. This work, how long do we teach at our universities it takes to do this? Hundreds of years. How old are you? <laughs> okay. And how long have you been working at this? Less than two Less years. Less than two years, yeah. All right. There we go. Now, I used to teach the same thing because I was taught that and the textbooks say that, right? But why? Why do the professors and the textbooks and why did I say that it takes hundreds of years to achieve this? Because all of our research was reductionist. And we actually proved that under a reductionist model, you can't... That's the only thing our research proved. It proved conclusively that under a reductionist model research, we can't do this. We can't achieve that. That's what our research proved. But it didn't prove that this can't be done. But the only way it can be done is through what? The application of compounding cascading effects through intentionally applying the six principles and the three rules. Wow. This ought to get you excited. If this does not get you excited, you need to go home and quit farming. This, this excites me, and I see it all the time. But I, even after seeing this for decades, I still get no less excited by seeing this kind of thing. For more on ways to build soil health profitably, check out the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 291 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll find links to other LSP podcasts featuring Alan Williams as well as Jordan Meyer. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly. If you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.